Have you ever been to Casino Beach over here in Lake Worth? Nobody's been to Casino Beach. It's, a, it's not really a casino there anymore. It's just a beach. Back when I was growing up, it had some old dilapidated swings and a little uh, slide and stuff like that. And my family all has stories from Casino Beach. My dad lost his wedding ring somewhere there in the water. And so most of my uncles did too. So there's lots of money somewhere on the bottom of Lake Worth. Um, but I remember one time, I was about six. We were out there with my family. And we were just out there playing around. It was pretty shallow water. Uh, looking back on it now, it was pretty shallow water. And my cousins got to doing this thing where they would go up and then dunk down, up and then dunk down. And, you know, uh, they were my much older cousins. They were eight. Um, and so I thought, hey, that's pretty cool. I did the same thing. I did it. Went down. Did it again. Went down. Did it again. And I went down. And I just kept on going. I mean, at six years old, I thought I was going to get to Atlantis. I swore that I saw fish as it was passing by. And I just knew it was done. My, my life was over unless Aquaman came to save me. I mean, I just knew it. At six years old, that was it. I needed a safe. My mama, you know, because evidently she's got 50 foot arms, you know, yanked me back. Certainly I wasn't as, I wasn't as deep as I thought I was, but she pulled me up out of there and I was sputtering and I just couldn't breathe. And that was one of my times that I knew that if something didn't step in, I was in trouble. Our series, the uh, <coughs> Peeking at the Presidents, has looked at these pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament. And this week's picture may be one of the most clear pictures of who Jesus is. It's even alluded to in the New Testament as a direct comparison. Um, we're in the book of Numbers, in the 21st chapter. Israel is nearing the end of their journey. They've, they've been in the wilderness for 40 years. They have been taken care of by God throughout this whole time. Um, they have fought battles. They have had to trust. They bellyached, of course, because that's what humans do. Aaron has already died at this point, And God has provided, and Moses has left. And there in Numbers 21, starting in verse 4, before we pick up our text, and it says, then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom. But the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread or water, and we detest this wretched food. Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit them so that many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake image and mount it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. Whenever someone was bitten, he looked at the bronze snake and he recovered. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you be with us here this morning. Father, that you would make yourself known. Father, use me as a vessel this morning. Father, give us a greater picture of who you are. 
May the words that I speak be yours this morning, Father. Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for his sake, and all God's people say. <clears throat> Interesting little story. Um, one that we, we may not directly connect most of the time with Jesus and the life of Jesus. But if you read carefully the book of John in the third chapter, that's what the passage says. As the snake was lifted up in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. And so as I read this and I said, what is, how is this Jesus? There are several things here that, that we need to, to grasp and understand. And the first is that the situation that we're in is one of our own making. <laughs> We've made our own situation. And I don't mean just us, but I mean humanity. I mean, there's two levels here. There is the eternal salvation level, and there is the, my life is falling apart because I'm not doing what God wants me to do. Well, there are two levels. You know, and so both times, the situations we find ourselves in are of our own making. They are things that we have done. Israel here has been grumbling. They haven't been grateful. They have been crying out to God and not trusting Him. My aside this morning, my rabbit, they're going to chase me just a minute. <clears throat> They've been wandering for 40 years. The whole point of the wandering was for what? For a generation to die out. So most of the people in Israel at this point were probably not in this party when they left Egypt. But what did they say when they go to Moses? They say to him, why did you lead us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? These people have never been in Egypt. Our children learn from us how to act and react. These children had learned to grumble against God and against Moses. That's all they knew. Half these people had never been to Egypt. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? I was never in Egypt. You know, my, my, family, made, my family, if you look at genealogy, came from England. Why did y'all bring me here from England? I've never been to England. I mean, and I, I know I've been around certain families who they have ties to distant countries, right? So their 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 uh, their ancestors came from Scotland or Ireland or Germany or Poland, <coughs> and they they claim all of the baggage of being Scottish. Well, I just can't believe that they, and they've never been to Scotland. They've, they've, they've never gone through that. It's, it's not theirs. And so here, we have these children who have learned that, hey, what do we do when things aren't going our way? We grumble. We do what? We grumble to God. Have you ever noticed that our kids follow after us and what we do? If we hit walls in our lives and we go, oh, they're going to go, oh, they're just going to do it. And they're going to they're gonna lose it every time. But if we hit a wall and we hit our knees in prayer and say, God, show us the way, they're going to learn to hit their knees in prayer and say, God, show us the way. If they're always upset and mad, if you're always upset and mad, they're always going to be upset and mad. That's just the way it works. Children learn from their parents. But the situation they found themselves in here was their own making because God had been taking care of them for years, 40 years. Can you imagine that? Think about the last 40 years of your life. Some of you can't think back that far because you haven't been here that long. <laughs> think of the last 40 years of your life. And God is taking care of you. Every day you have food. 
every night you have light by a pillar of fire. You're never in the dark by yourselves. Every day there's a cloud that, that, that leads you where you need to go. God talks directly to the guy who was leading you. You can watch him walk up to the tent. You can watch the cloud descend. And you can hear the voice coming out. You know. But still. My mom and daddy did it. And they grumble. And they grumble. And they grumble. Us. Those in the New Testament. We make choices all the time. To walk away from God. We just do. We make choices to say, well, <clears throat> on the eternal level, I'm just not going to choose God. I'm going to go a different path. I'm going to go this direction. But then there's those of us who are in our Christian walk. Because see, people in Israel in the Old Testament, we make the assumption that they, since they were Israel, what was going to happen to them when they died? Before Jesus. They were going to be counted and go to heaven, right? So when they're dying... They're going to go where God is. So Christians can walk away from God. Christians can spend time kicking against the goat, if you would. Christians can say, well, God, I know you want me to do this, but I'm going to do this. I know you want me to go here, but I'm going to go here. Remember Jonah? <laughs> God, I know you want me to go to Nineveh, but I'm going to go as far away from Nineveh as I can get, because that's not where I'm comfortable going. We can choose to live in our sin. We do it all the time. And that situation is our own making. Now overall we have a sin nature and so on the eternal level man still made that choice. Still gave us a fallen nature. We're still in a situation of our own making whichever way you look at it. That situation is there. The second thing is our situation puts us in mortal danger. For Israel, it was venomous snakes. I don't have a good relationship with snakes. Um, I'm kind of like Indiana Jones. Why did it have to be snakes? That was I, I couldn't even watch those scenes of the movies because I cannot handle that. So, can you imagine being Israel? Again, God has taken care of you for 40 years. He has kept you safe for 40 years. He has led you through battle for 40 years. He has provided you food for 40 years. And then you grumble and all of a sudden snakes start coming out of nowhere and bite you. And they were dying. It says the snakes bit them and many Israelites died. For us, we know the eternal part, right? If we don't accept Jesus, we're going to hell. But our sin may not cause our death. But it will cause us to be separated from God. It will cause us to be in a spot where we may not find the blessings that God has for us. It may put us somewhere that is completely, <clears throat> completely opposite of where God wants us to be. It can keep us from experiencing relationships. make choices based on relationship, right? I mean, I could have, when Carrie and I started dating, gave up on her when she gave up on me. 
She's going to get mad at me. I'm going to tell a story about how we met. Okay. <coughs> we met at college. I was her, I was her freshman orientation leader. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't want to date that year. I told her, I don't want to date anybody. God, that's the person that, that you want me to date. I do not want to date them. Leave them out of my sight. I'm not serious. And then, um, we had a worship one night, and I was talking with some friends there in the group, and I talked about how my, my perfect honeymoon would be a cabin in the woods somewhere. And so then Carrie proposed to so, three days in, I mean, you know. <clears throat> so, uh, okay. So we started dating, and then kind of, we went to Fan Rose and the sports sports bar on, on the Baptist campus. Um, um, and then she decided because I held her hand, she was scared and she didn't want to date anymore. She just wanted to be friends. Alright. So I gave her what she wanted. Um, I drove her crazy. She couldn't stand it. Because I gave her what she wanted. Because she couldn't handle just being friends. That's not what she wanted to do. I could have made choices and said, you know what? No, you had your chance. I'm done. But I didn't make that choice. That's not where I went with this. So often what we do in our lives is God is calling us one direction or he's given us choices to make. And we can either choose to follow him and be where he wants us to be or we can choose to go over here. He doesn't guarantee that this path is completely safe, but I sure as all get out know that this path over here isn't safe at all because it's not where God wants me to be. So often when you deal with your children, you go to a pool and you tell them to jump off the diving board. And they don't want to because they're scared. You can be right there, but they don't want to jump because it's the unknown and they're scared. But yet, they will climb up on the roof of the house <laughs> and jump off onto a trampoline with no problem, with nobody there. One's safe. One's filled with danger. But one they chose. And one they're being asked to do. That's where we find ourselves in trouble. That's when we find ourselves in mortal danger. We may find ourselves completely separated from God. And those of us who don't know Jesus, who, who've made that choice, we're completely separated from God for the rest of our lives. For the rest of eternity. Because we go to hell. One thing we have to get straight. Our des default destination is not heaven. That's what a lot of people believe. A lot of people believe that everybody just goes to heaven because you have to be really bad to go to hell. But our default destination because of who we are is hell. That's the default. When you come to Jesus, you get an upgrade to first class and you're going somewhere else. But our sin, our choices put us in mortal danger. And the truth is we cannot solve our issue on our own. We can't save ourselves. We can't do it. We want to try. I live a good life. Israel couldn't stop the venom. They would get bit. And the venom would go through their body. 
And they didn't have antivenom. And there wasn't a hospital nearby. And so God tells him, can you imagine this? Moses, make a bronze snake. Put it on a pole. And tell him, if you get bit, look at it. You'll be okay. I bet the first few were like, oh, okay. <laughs> but then they found out that when you trust in what God tells you to do, something happens. Because they couldn't do it themselves, but God gave them away. We can't fix our sin. We can't make ourselves righteous. We can't remove that penalty from our own lives. The wages of sin is death. And we all sin. We all fall. We can't remove that. We can't save ourselves. We can't solve the issue. When people come to me and ask me, well, Brother Troy, how do you know that the way you believe is the way? How do you know that Jesus is the answer? Because Jesus is the only religion in the entire world that takes care of the problem of sin. The only one. Everybody else puts it upon me. If you live right, if you do the five pillars, if you meditate enough, if you pray enough, if you, if you, if you. But no, Christianity takes this problem and says, here is the solution. Here's how you fix it. <clears throat> I hate band-aiding things, and sometimes that drives people crazy. I'm not a band-aid person. I don't like wearing band-aids on my cuts, but I don't like band-aiding little problems. If we have a problem, I want to fix it. I want to fix it right. Because a bunch of band-aids ends up costing money. I have a little girl. You know how many band-aids we go through in my house? Just because she wants to put them on. I should own stock in the band-aid company. <laughs> But band-aids cost us more money. You know, if something goes wrong and I just want a band-aid, you know, I've been dealing with that car radio, right? And everybody's like, well, just put another radio in. I could do that. But then I have to add more money to figure out how to tie the rest of this stuff into something else. And then it begins just adding cost on to it. I was at a church once that had a very low ceiling in the sanctuary. They had a projector screen sitting right in this corner. And so it was really, really low. And the projector was really, really dim. And so you couldn't see it because it was too dim. But if you were standing up in the back and somebody was standing in front of you, you couldn't see it at all. And people were like, well... Let's just replace the projector. Why? If you make it brighter, the guy in the back still can't see it because you're standing in front of it. That doesn't make any sense. If we're going to do something, let's do it right. Let's spend the money and do it right. I, I, I hate spending money. Carry on. Right? Do I like to spend money? Never. Cheapskate. I will find a way to do it myself, but I'm going to do it right. We can't solve our issue. I could try. I could pray every day. I could get on my get on my knees and I could face Jerusalem. I could I could do alms for the poor. I could go to church every Sunday. I could do all of these things, but they don't amount to anything because it's not enough to erase the penalty from the sin of our lives. We can't do it on our own. 
And in both of these situations, God provides the source of salvation. For Israel, it was a snake on a pole. When I first heard this, I was thinking, that is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Because, and I found it because I was reading John chapter 3. And I had to go searching and say, what in the world did he mean by that? John chapter 3. I should have marked this and I didn't do it. <clears throat> Just as Moses lived at the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Oh, yeah. The snake in the wilderness. What? I went looking for another snake in the garden. It wasn't the same snake. I was thinking maybe he was killing him with a pole. But that wasn't what was happening. God provided something that was a, a, a grace act. It was an act of grace. It was mercy. It was you don't deserve this, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. And there's so many similarities to Jesus here. First, it, it's a substitution of type. You have snakes for snakes, but you have a man for men. The snake was on the pole because it was a snake that had been on. Jesus died on the cross because man had failed. Man had sinned, so a man had to die. It was lifted up in the midst of the community. Can you imagine? That camp had to be huge, right? All those Israelites. And Moses made a pole and put in the middle of the community. They had to walk to the pole. If you wanted, you had to walk to it. You had to go to it and gaze upon it, and you would be healed. Jesus was lifted up in the midst of the community on the cross. And you had to turn to the source of your salvation to receive salvation. You had to look at the snake. You couldn't just believe that the snake happened to be in the middle of the, of the camp. Well, Moses, you know, I believe the snake's there. So I should be saved. No. You had to gaze upon the snake. For Jesus, you have to have a relationship with Jesus. You can't just believe that he was a real man. You can't just believe that, that, he, that he existed. You can't just believe that he made it down on the cross. You have to actually follow Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. In Numbers, God only paints a picture of Jesus, but of humanity and all his followers. Things haven't changed much in 5,000 years. We grumble and we turn against God and bring danger upon ourselves. <laughs> we do. We want to say that we don't. We want to say that we learn from, from the, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament. But... Sometimes I feel like Chris Christopherson. Why me, Lord? Right? You ever done that? Why me, Lord? I mean, we grumble. We complain. God, I can't believe you did this. Why am I going through this? Why am I having to deal with this? Why is this happening to me? I remember those feelings. I remember turning my back so hard on God that I didn't want to talk to God. I was 20 years old. 19 years old, my parents got a divorce. And I was so mad at God. God, I have followed you. I have served you. I have done what you asked me to do. And this is how you repay me. I'm done. Don't talk to me, God. And for a year, for a year, I didn't talk to God. And my life was fraught with so much mess, it was unreal. Because I put myself in a position that was completely against God. We place ourselves in need of a Savior. In need of Him to bring us back and put us where we need to be. But God always provides a Savior. He's there. And He's waiting. He's always waiting. He paints a picture of the full revelation of Jesus before Israel ever entered the promised land. This is what you need. There is one thing that can save you from this, and it's coming to the cross. 
always struggle with just letting go completely. I think some of my favorite words sometimes are, but God, but, but God, oh, are you sure? But, but God, did you think this through? Um, God, I know me. When I came back from that year and I had done everything I could do to make God mad and, and God called me back, He called me back very, very clearly as I was asked the question this Wednesday night. Because I was asked two questions. I was asked, what do you have to do to be sabotaged? Um, which was a, a great question. I'm enjoying it. You were sitting there. Everybody thought it was sabotage. It's baptized. But yeah, you baptized. And then, does that mean you can hear from God? I love that question. Because God does speak. But it's that whisper that, that comes across the strings of your heart. And I tried to explain that. I don't know how you explain that to a six-year-old. Because when God brought me back, it was to the words of that old hymn, Come Home, Come Home. You hear weary, come home. That was it. And then he said, I want you to go be a camp counselor. And I said, God, I know me. Are you sure about this? I have a hard time letting go. Maybe this morning, that's been you. Maybe you have a hard time letting go of the things that you can't control. Maybe you have a hard time just saying, okay, God, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. I'm not sure about it, but I'll go ahead and do it. Because of... Maybe this morning, you have struggle. It's amazing that this is supposed to be the most joyous time of the year, but a lot of people struggle during this time. A lot of people are, are brought down during this time. Maybe you're struggling today. Maybe this morning you want to pray. The altar is open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to turn into missions or, or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe this morning when you want to know Jesus. Maybe you want to gaze upon the cross. Maybe you want to have a relationship that will completely change your life. Now's the time. It's not hard. You just walk the aisle and you say, Brother Troy, I want to know Jesus and we'll go from there. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to Him. Pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you. We praise you for your blessing.